of Soccer Nation, the premier podcast for fans of NCAA women's collegiate soccer with Old Miss women's head coach Matt Mock and Rice women's head coach Brian Lee. You can download this podcast from all your favorite podcast providers. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review and tell a friend. And now, Coach Mock and Coach Lee. Well, here we are. College Soccer Nation is back on the air. Uh, we're all back. Well, we're not all back. Some of us are at the beach or the lake or wherever. Uh, but my name is Matt Mott. I am the head women's soccer coach of the Ole Miss Fighting Rebels. I am joined with a big deal, Brian Lee from the Rice Owls. We have a big time show tonight. Super excited. Brian, how are things in sunny South Carolina? They're beautiful. Anytime you can squeeze a couple days at the beach or the lake, as we all know, try and get it done before August 1st coming isn't it buddy it's coming it's coming it's coming fast and furious yes so i'm going to do a um a little brag here to start the Ole miss baseball team is your 2022 national champions how great is that it's great for you the rest of us let me let me just tell you i gotta tell you about them a little first of all the head baseball coach mike bianco i consider him a good friend he is fantastic uh, great coach has had just an unbelievable amount of success here in um, in Oxford, Mississippi at Ole Miss. But fans are tough, Brian. Baseball fans in this state are tough. And part of the reasons they're tough is because down the road from us at, at um, Mississippi State, they're pretty good in baseball, too. So he has a direct comparison that makes it tough. But he's been to eight now Super Regionals. This was his second Omaha, and he came through with a trophy. And, and I'll be honest with you, that, that, as it was very well documented, they were the last team in, in the selection and uh, and won the whole thing, which I don't know if it would happen in any other sport. But I'm really happy for him because at, at one point in the season, they were struggling, and everybody wanted them fired outside of those of us that understand sports and understand that it's yo-yo and you have peaks and valleys in the season, and, and that's what they were doing. But they were a good team, and they showed it at the end. So super happy for them and, and super happy for my school, but um, it's a, uh, it's a tough, tough business when you get in those top end sports for sure. Well, in baseball's top end in the sec, I don't know about the rest yeah. of the country, but sure. a great story. Number one in the country to nearly yeah, everyone want them canned to now they're going to build a statue all right. in three months. That's just, you know, <laughs> typical college season. Yeah, that's right. yeah. Welcome to the sec, baby. That's how we run. Right. All right, let's keep moving. This is about college soccer nation. So we won't spend a lot of time on that, but we do have some more fun national news to discuss. Um, there's been some very exciting realignment um, going on and continuing to go on and, and happening. And for those of the people that aren't tuned in, like Rob Thompson, my assistant on, on um, Tuesday, I said, how about UCLA and USC? He goes, what are you talking about? Now, he was in England, but still the idea that he, didn't, he hadn't heard that was amazing. To me. But anyway, those of you who don't know, the UCLA Bruins and the USC Trojans are headed to the Big Ten in 2024 as this conference realignment continues to get crazy. What are your initial thoughts, Coach Fleet? My initial thoughts is it's seismic for college sports as we keep pushing toward the, the really what I would call like the football model and the Big Ten and the SEC taking over. Um, and it's not going to be a power five. It's clearly going to be a power two. And everybody else scrambling to be in that power two or figure out what it's going to look like for you and your school post the Big Ten and SEC getting themselves sorted out. What do you think is the ramifications to soccer? Big picture, almost nothing, Matt, to be honest. You know, I think these are football conferences where 
Um, every decision right now is being made from a pure revenue standpoint where, you know, we're talking baseball earlier. Baseball's got no effect on this at all. Zero. They have the same that we do. It is entirely football generated money. And when schools can make an extra $50 million by jumping to the big 10 SEC, it's a dog eat dog world and off they go. But bottom line with soccer, you think Rutgers is going to play UCLA in a tennis or women's soccer game that counts in the Big Ten standings ever? I absolutely do. Why yeah. do you not? No chance. No well, chance. I don't. I don't understand. I don't understand your. So you're saying that they're only going to play in football because if they're only going to play football, wouldn't they already announce that? Why are they going to play conference tournament? No, they they've even thought about the ramifications for soccer. In this, I don't disagree. I don't disagree with that. But I don't understand what I would think. So when it comes down to it, they're going to do what tennis does a lot of places in the country already is they just meet for a conference tournament. So you either they're going to have enough teams to have an East and a West and, you know, play basically their old conferences or regionally divisionally or um, they won't play at all and they'll just meet for a tournament. It'll go, uh, you know, the uh, old just we'll meet at the tournament and a year well, winner. Hold gets on, hold on. You're, you're stuttering and stumb, you're stumbling, you're stumbling and bumbling and stuttering. Hold on. So Texas and OU are coming into the sec. I, yes. I'm Ole Miss is never going to play Texas. No, Ole no, Miss no. is never going to play OU. No, like, totally different regionally. That's our okay, region. So you're, you're based no. this only on region. Yeah. It's based on region. They, the conferences will not spend $25,000 and have their women's tennis team, Miss four days of class going from Maryland to Southern. Why would it be four days of class? We do this already in non-conference, Brian. We already go from not plenty of teams go from the East Coast to the West Coast to play or vice versa in non-conference. So I don't understand why you think there's no way they'll do it in conference. And furthermore, so you, what you're telling me is that there's going to be an entire division of teams for the Pac-12, or so for UCLA and USC to play that are on the West Coast so that they never have to play Michigan. Yeah, or they'll just play non-conference games. The, and well, they're going to be they're going to be the Big Ten, but not uh, playing the Big I, Ten. I'm going to explain it to you this way, Matt. Okay. And hopefully I remember both of these points. All right. Okay. <laughs> so I want you to look at, let's look specifically to women's soccer. Okay. Right? That's what we should biggest, be talking about. Yeah. Biggest jobs, biggest hires of the year. Where were they? Give me a school. Throw me a school. Florida State. Florida State. How much money did Florida State and Penske's, he might be the second or third highest paid coach in the country. What did, it's very public. What did they save on their head coach and salary? I, I don't know the numbers, but significant amount of money. thousand dollars Give me okay. another one. Uh, um, uh, Kentucky. And eh, not a big job. Come on. Let's right, UCLA. Okay, UCLA. there you go. I, I, I understand what you're saying. No, 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 no. We haven't got to the okay. one that matters yet either. Uh, all right. There's one that matters. So, all right. Yeah. Okay. okay yeah, Georgia. How about Georgia? What do they say? Go back to UCLA. Right. Let's say they say everyone's like, oh, how can you hire a young coach? Well, you save $200,000, maybe $300,000, correct? I, I don't know that's true. Okay. Are, I mean, I don't know that they save $300,000 on hiring the UCLA right? coach. What? Right. What about USC? What's your okay, guess? Okay, I, I get your I see right. what you're saying, but you're not what, making a point. No, 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 no. What about Georgia? Georgia, Georgia had to pay more money. Yeah. And what <laughs> conference does Georgia play in? The SEC. The SEC. What conference was UCLA in? 
the Big Twelve. Well, what does that have to do with what does that have to do with whether UCLA they're going to play not playing Rutgers in my, a regular season game? My my point is this, and I would have gone further along this with other coaches in and out as well, is that the the money is at Georgia, uh-huh. and the money the floating the top. It's the we can get Robbie's opinion on this in a minute. We need the to. money say in the ACC is in Clemson. It's not in Florida State right now because they're paying four football coaches. It might right. be three, but right. they're actually hemorrhaging money. UCLA is hemorrhaging money. Southern Cal's hemorrhaging money because they're trying to keep up in football, but they don't have the money to keep up. So everywhere else, they've got to cut costs, just like they do at Rutgers and at Maryland and that you know so on and so forth of all the non-real elite Ohio State you know type premier football programs, everybody else who's trying to keep up is actually hemorrhaging money, even in those 40 to 45 schools. So there's no way you're going to get Rutgers and Maryland and even UCLA or Southern Cal to agree in the short term to play in all your non-revs go across the country and play. There's just no way. I don't agree with that. It was very, Florida State's a great example. It was really important to them to save $250,000. Had, no, I, don't, I don't think that's true. I think they went after every best, every so top coach publicly. It did not look so ugly for that AD publicly. They'd have hired someone for $150,000 and he'd have been skipping and jumping around. Look what we just did on the bottom line here with the non-reds. I understand your, I understand your, your premise of this. I don't agree that that's what's going on. I, we will, we will have to, uh, if you're right, I will come on here and say you're right. But well, the genesis, you, what, what we've got to find out is when this actually happens, someone please remember, does Rutgers play UCLA in a regular season conference game? That's right. That's what we want to know. There right? is no chance that ever happens. But yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, well, we can belabor it, but I'm just saying you're wrong. I'm saying All Rutgers right. will play ucla or usc or whatever because they do already brian you make it sound like no one ever goes across the country to play games right they, byu they went to it. arkansas and they do it. i'm going to give you a real didn't santa clara just come over a year or two ago and play north carolina duke in a regular season tournament robbie shaking and said yes they did by the choice robbie how's it go for the getting teams in that tournament by the way um, <laughs> no it has nothing to do with that not real well brian's making no sense robbie's here please welcome college talking nation robbie church uh, mayor <laughs> is here with us and he's listening to this nonsense that brian <laughs> is spewing they so sure of uh but Robbie, have you not had didn't didn't for don't they still Santa Clara and Notre Dame go back and forth with a tournament and play at each other's places? They do. You Santa make it Clara sound came, like nobody ever goes across the country to play games. No, they do. Everybody does. But it's about once every four years or once every three oh, years that people start to go. But they do. You're both right. You're, you're both are right here. I'm jumping in the middle, <laughs> separating both of you at this point. You're, you're both right. But I am going to agree with Brian in a sense. I think once this thing gets sorted out, you're going to have the visions. And, and I that, think I don't, I don't, I'm not disagreeing with that idea. Visions, get, but but I, right now, UCLA, UC, USC need some teams to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, in their division. Well, no, right? wait till they come. They may have a lot of teams to play. Who knows, right. gonna, who knows who's going to join them? 
And, you know, I, I do think that they're going to have enough teams that are going to have division to play. You're probably not going to play cross divisions like we do in the ACC and you guys do in the SEC. You're probably, you're probably going to have so many teams in that division. You may have a 10-game schedule within your division. And then it may be whatever the top four in each mm-hmm. division, whatever they wanted to go, would go into the tournament. And that's when you can make it. Those. I, yeah, I, that's I, what Brian's saying, but I, time, I think we're a long way from that, Robbie. I think we're a long way from that. I, do. I'm not sure. I think I, still, I think the Big Ten could have. I think the Big Ten could have 24 teams and not not a long period well, of time. You've got. We, we did want to talk that. about. Yeah, let me interrupt you real quick. We did want to talk about Utah, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State to the Big 12. That's probably getting close. We think, right? Yeah, maybe even Washington and Oregon too. Yeah, yeah. I haven't heard. Have we heard them to the Big 12? Yeah, they're just waiting. It's Notre Dame and somebody looking at the Big Ten. Big Ten's waiting to see if they get – it's got to be Stanford or North Carolina, Robbie, maybe? No, you know, I, I can talk about the ACC whenever you want me to. But yeah, I think go right, ahead. Yeah, go ahead. That's fine. right now, well, you know, the ACC is standing pat right now. The reason is in 2013 when Maryland left and went to the Big Ten, the ACC signed this thing. It was called the Grant of Rights Agreement, and it was signed by all schools. And then – Three years, three, four years ago, 2016, they extended the grant of rights. And the grant of rights extended to 2035, 36. So all the ACC teams are all tied in together. And, you know, what ties them in together is if any of these teams leave, they're going to lose, they're going to forfeit all their TV rights and all the attached revenues that go with TV rights. Now, I don't know how much money that is, but everybody I talk to says it is an unbelievable amount of money. And right now, nobody can afford to leave the ACC. And ACC hasn't looked at taking anybody in at this point. They may start to look at that. But this is this document, this, this grant of rights is like a four-page grant. And I can tell you right now, every smart lawyer in the country is looking at the grant of rights. Because you've got Florida State, you've got Clemson, you've got Miami, you've got teams looking, how, do we, how the heck do we get out of this? And how can we join this party that's making so much money, three times more football money, uh, TV money, revenue money than we're making in the ACC. And, and a lot of schools are looking at it. But I think because of this grant of rights, the ACC is pretty much tied together unless somebody can figure out. And I saw today there was a on the news, one of the college football gurus out there was saying they think they found a way that some of these ACC teams can start to get out and, and get involved in a, either SEC you, or the Big Ten. Did you say 35 and 36? 35 to 20, 30, yeah. 20, 35? Yeah. Yeah, 2035, 2036. They are legally bound at this. At this. Well, all this I point. know is the numbers that I heard from a pretty reliable source was the Pac-12 TV deal was somewhere between 35 and 36 million dollars, and the SEC deal was 95, 96 million, and the Big Ten deal per was going right? per school, per school. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, per school, yeah. and the Big Ten deal was going to be between 1.1 and 1.2 billion the whole package so how that breaks up is well you know. and notre dame's tv contract with nbc runs out in 2025 well that, yeah. that's that's what everybody's waiting on. everybody's waiting for notre dame yeah. Wait, yeah. notre dame is the one they're either gonna notre dame to go stay in the acc because it's been a really really good relationship with all their not with their olympic sports and and you know even with football on a part-time basis they're either going to jump in with both of them because the money is so big, or they're going to go to the Big Ten. The money just gets so big, they're going yeah. to pack up and take everybody. And and I, well, I, if you listen, no to, Bri- Robbie, if you listen to Brian, it doesn't matter about the other sports and what they're doing <laughs> or what they care. It does that has no effect on it whatsoever. 
that it's only about football, which I don't disagree. I don't disagree. Uh, I just think yeah. you're a little short-sighted, Brian, in the thought that there's no way that UCLA would ever pay to come cross country to play well, in another I'm sport. not I saying no way. They'll play their one non-conference, so they might go once. Oh, but, so now what about, so you hear that, Robbie? Now he's giving it one. Soccer. <laughs> get it soccer. But I promise, you, I promise you it will not be like it has been where everybody's gone to each other's place right. you know, once every four years if you don't play this nice and neat little arrangements there. Yeah. You know, because UCLA and USC can't go – then if they go once, that's that's all they got. They're yeah. not, they're not oh, yeah. going twice or two or three times a year because, you know, and then whatever happened to student-athletes' welfare? I mean, who signed, who signed up for this? If I'm signing up at USC and – and you, you, you know, UCLA, and and I'm signing up to play the teams around us. Did I sign up to go to East Lansing in November yeah. and December? <laughs> and I, did I sign up to go to uh, you Lincoln, know, Nebraska? Lincoln, Lincoln Nebraska? Nebraska? They're both yeah. going to hate me. So they, how will this affect their recruiting, or will it affect their recruiting yeah. now that they're now that they're going to? Well, I don't think there's going to be a Big Twelve. Or, I mean, a Pac-12. No, right. it's getting chopped off at the knees. Yeah, it looks uh, like it. Well, what yeah. about what about pure soccer? Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Arizona State to the Big Twelve. If we say that's happening, where does that league fall? What do those four teams do to the? Quality yeah, it's a good of that question. Team? With with BYU, UC, UCF, Houston, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. does you know? I I don't think they're good enough. Well, what I think has happened now is the big. In my opinion, the Big Ten has become a powerhouse to now rival. Uh, the ACC more than anybody's been able to at this point, right? I'm not sure that Texas and Oklahoma are going to, from a soccer standpoint, are going to push the SEC any closer to the ACC at this point. So Mm -hmm. I do think if you add those two teams into the Rutgers, Michigan, uh, Penn State teams, now you really do rival the the ACC. And um, that'll make it really interesting, I think. But not if they don't play each other. <laughs> well, you know, what happens if they don't have divisions in these in right. UCLA and USC has to travel two or three times right. don't think it could happen. I mean, that's how do you do that? That's a hell of a road trip to yeah. do it. You know, I, I think that's going to hurt them. That's going to be the quality of yeah. their play, obviously. You know, uh, Sankey rules college sports, right? <laughs> and pretty good guy to do it. He's smart. Yeah. He's got yes. his stuff together. He's a little bit ruthless. These guys, you know, pushed him on the 12 team playoff he wanted. And he just told them, okay. Here you go. And here you go. But, you know, the little transformational surveys we've been getting that included uh, uh, no automatic bids for the non-rev sports. Yeah. If your conferences are set up all across the country, everybody doesn't play everybody, then you wouldn't have automatic bids. Right. Because really hard in conferences of 24 or whatever. So I do think that is the one little nugget that is clearly tied to all this. If we're going to expand like this and go this direction, there's a really good chance soccer moves away from automatic. But but will that happen in men's basketball? Because that will be the domino effect, right? Will men's basketball say no automatic, no automatic bids? Um, What does that look like? You know, because that's really where it matters. That's where, where really where it starts and ends with the NCAA is men's basketball. Yeah. So would you not feel it's headed that direction in soccer now that this, if they really gets to 20, 24 teams in these two leagues? It's going to be, I mean, we've been talking about AFC, NFC, right? The the football, like the, like the NFL. I mean, and it's interesting that Miami's signing all of these top level recruits all of a sudden in football is something else going on that we don't know about. 
Eight and a half million dollar NLI, right, for the yeah. quarterbacks. NIL, yeah. NIL is going yeah. on big, big time down there, and that's why they're getting, getting the recruits. You know, I think if these, if these conferences expand, they're going to just pull themselves out, and it's just going to be the SEC yeah. and the Big Ten, and not worry about anybody else. If they get all the numbers, and they get the schools that they want in both of those leagues, and you have somewhere like forty-eight to sixty teams, they're going to say bye-bye. We're going to go form a whole league over here, and then we'll figure out what we do with the non-rev sports. Well, um, and the collateral damage in soccer, look at Washington State right now. Clearly, they look like they're being left out, right? Yep, yep. So you got a team that's been in the Final Four, yep, you yep. know, in our sport. Do they go to WCC that don't fit that profile of school? No. I don't think yeah. that they fall into that. So they're looking at the WAC, yep. maybe. There, there's there's going to be two or three schools at each conference that fall into that category that mm-hmm. just for some reason – it just doesn't fit what, you know, the TV, the TV markets, or there's another school who's bigger in that state and they just want that one school from the state. Right. I, I tell you what, I was listening to a, a, a pretty good radio show that said you, you know, cause he talked about Vanderbilt, 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 what's going to happen with Vanderbilt because Vanderbilt football. Right. And yeah. they said to leave the SEC to get kicked out of the SEC is almost impossible. <laughs> so you don't see it's I don't see where anybody they're going to lo- lose anybody. Yeah, but, same guy said like 18 months ago, Southern Cal UCLA leaving the Pac-12 is impossible. You know, yeah, impossible. That was some, that was or something different. Wouldn't have. Something different. Yeah. All right, let's keep it rolling. Let's keep it rolling. All right, so let's get back on the side. The realignment we 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 beat that drum. All right, takeaway from summer events. What are what are some takeaways from the summer events? Uh, out in Seattle, and we were in Seattle, and everybody was in uh, in San Diego. What what are your takeaways there, Robbie? No, you know, I thought Seattle was a great event. Um, mm-hmm. The morning we flew in, I thought we had bus- bypassed uh, Seattle and shot and landed in somewhere in England. Uh, that morning was cold <laughs> and wet, and you know, uh, but after that, Kieran Kieran Howell flew in with. He thought he was home uh, as we landed, but the rest of the time was great. I thought the play in Seattle was fantastic. Uh, you know, it, it was so refreshing. <laughs> Every time period, unfortunately, there was a lot of games and every time slot, a lot of really quality games and quality players. But, you know, you're out there all day for eight hours and you're watching good game after good game and half, at, you know, watching one half of one and go find another half of a, a good game and some really good quality, quality players. So I thought Seattle, I thought Seattle was fantastic. I, you know, the venue out there, I think, was nice. But, you know, the grass was high for some teams. It sure. was interesting the teams trying to adjust the playing surface. Um, you know, you, you saw early in the thing, a lot of balls were dying halfway in between players uh, with passes. But I think at the end, they started to figure things out. And, and um, I, I thought that that event was uh, was phenomenal. And then, you know, San Diego event uh, was interesting. So I, I was flying. I flew Saturday from Seattle to San Diego. Um, I was supposed to go about three o'clock. My flight got canceled. They bumped me into a 740 flight. So I was early getting on the flight uh, there. I counted I counted 27 coaches. <laughs> head coaches or assistant coach it was a shuttle between seattle and san diego <laughs> that night so there was 27 of us and you should have seen us arrive at the at the uh, rental car place we all arrived at <laughs> national rental car and there was about five there was probably about 10 of us and about seven cars that were out there cars and trucks <laughs> and we all just kind of looked at each other and then we all sprinted to a car <laughs> like musical chairs we didn't want to be left without a car and have yeah. to wait for another car too but um but it was uh it was quite a shuttle and quite a different event the ga yeah. uh, it was, still was good i saw some 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 decent games there but seattle was uh i thought head and shoulders better yeah 
Brian? Seattle was, that's the best event in a long, long time for top to bottom quality of play. I thought, uh, fantastic. And we had the exact same thing the next night or the night before on that 740 flight at National Rental Car. I kid you not. Hoppe, the Maryland coaches, yep. others, and me yep. staring at four pickup trucks and one sedan and everybody's sprinting for the sedan. <laughs> yeah, I, I drove my first pickup truck from North so Carolina. I, I drove go. my first pickup truck in California. Something wrong with that. That's Something right. wrong with that. But it was That's okay. terrible. It was, it was pickup trucks are the way to go. I've had a pickup I, truck I, for the last I, 20 I, years. Come sorry, on, fellas. All right, let's okay. go. Uh, that was good. Brian, anything to add? I, I, I will say this no. real quick. I I agree with the Church of Seattle was great. Um, really good level. I like the facility. I thought the facility for a guy that isn't good at getting around it was really easy to get around and yep. parking was easy. It was it was very good venue and the and the quality play was fantastic. I really enjoyable. You know, when it means something, it's always so much better. Than just these, you know, showcases. But I thought it was really good. Anything to add to that, Brian? No, I hope it stays in Seattle for nationals with ECNL. I think it's a yeah. perfect time of year to be there. For those of us coming out of the south, it's a nice respite, seventy-two degrees. Yeah, that one cool morning. I thought it was fantastic. Facilities great, city's great for it. Yep, perfect. Yep, I found a great pizza place. Took Jim Wayne. It was awesome. All right, let's keep moving, boys. Uh, <laughs> We have in here as a topic to just discuss um, is club coaches role in recruiting. I don't want to get too far down the road with this, but any thoughts that we want to kind of share about what we think really is the role of the club coach. I find it interesting as, as we have some ID camps coming, we have some coaches calling and telling us about this kid and that kid and, and so on and so forth. And it made me, it made me think about the pod and maybe discussing about what is really the role of the club coach, Brian. Why don't you start? Well, I mean, they're wearing two hats, right? They're trying to sell the clubs. So they want the kids going to the highest profile schools possible and certainly visiting them. Um, and they're trying to maintain relationships with the colleges because hopefully they're going to be in the club game for a long time and they can't sell you a bill of goods on a, on a player and have you come back to them. So it's a real delicate balance. You know, I think you're always trying to find the, the coaches that are really concerned about the best spot for the kid, not the best spot for the club or sending them to a buddy. Um, so it's a really important role, but every kid's got a different relationship with their club coach as well. Mm -hmm. The ones, you know, you just got to figure that out too. Half the time they don't like the club coach. So they're going to do the opposite of what they say, but it's, it's a big role. Jerky. You know, I think, I think Brian is exactly right. Uh, you know, it's a, it's interesting. Uh, it, you know, sometimes we get involved with the club coach a lot and sometimes we don't get involved at all with the club coaches. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it just kind of depends on the player. If you, how much do you know that player? Um, you know, I like to get the background of the player from the club coach's perspective. Um, I like to go see those, those players perform in, in club coach, you know, in, in, in environment and training sessions too. Um, and then, and see what kind of role the, the club coach does play. And then sometimes if it's a stronger role, then well, bring that club coach in more involved, but you know, it's, it's, it's hard because that club coach would like, and we all know it, that club coach would like to have a player in some of these top programs and, and you understand that. And sometimes, but we also know the club coaches that push players, you yeah. know, knowing that, knowing that, you know, they, they uh, not going to be able to play in your program. And, you know, it's, it's the, the, the line always comes up is this player can play for you. I know this player can play for yeah. you. And yeah. they have no idea what level. No, I, I, I think the pressure. Yeah. I think the pressure of the club guys get is tough, right? Uh, Cause you know, this player is their best player. 
and they come and they say, I want to go to X, Y, and Z. And that club coach knows that player is not good enough for X, Y, and Z, or you hope they do. So saying that to the parents is difficult because they want to keep the player. There's a lot of politics and it's, it's difficult for them, but at the end of the day, it's on the the parent and the player to figure out what is the best setup for the, for their kid and, and where they should go. All right. Let's keep it. I know we're kind of all over the place, but we've got a bunch of topics we're trying to get to. And, and I didn't say at the beginning, I apologize. Uh, very exciting. Our guest tonight is Dave Nolan from Georgetown, uh, head coach of Georgetown, which we're super excited about. And the power five is um, anything Irish, anything Irish. And in, uh, in a little tribute to Dave coming on, anything Irish. So um, let's get just a couple more quick topics and we got to get to Dave. But um, so uh, Churchy, something we talked about, the, the U-20 rosters being announced here coming up on the 11th yep. that is going yep. to affect a lot of a number of college teams um with what that roster looks like and and what that u20 is the u20 now correct me costa rica costa rica yep and it's it's going to i mean so you know you're looking at canadian kids you're looking at number of yep. kids are going to be missing uh, a number of weeks of, kids, yeah. yeah yeah gonna be missing a number of weeks of uh yeah of the college game for that so, so any thoughts on that church yeah, I, I spoke to Tracy today because I wanted to get my facts straight. And, mm-hmm. you know, so they're going to go into pre-camp. So they start even before the college season starts. They start one day earlier. So they're going to have a pre-camp in Houston, Brian. They'll oh. be right down the road from oh, Houston. Oh, nice. Starting uh, July the 30th. They'll be there. They'll be in Houston for four days. So there'll be the full team, which they haven't announced, um, will come in and then bring some alternate players. I think some of the alternates are going to be some younger players. So it doesn't affect the college, doesn't affect the colleges. And then they'll take off and they have a game before their first game. They have a game, but closed doors game with Spain. They'll play that early before, the, before their first game. And then they're, they're divided They're They're in group D. I think is, I think that's the information I had. They're in group D and there's, they play three games. They play on August 11th. Um, and they play um, Ghana then. They play the Netherlands on August 14th, and then uh, August 17th is our last group game against Japan, okay? And mm-hmm. then, so that's, so as you see, that's already the first weekend. Yeah. So right now, the kids have missed all of preseason, the, you know, one or two scrimmages and preseason games you have. They've missed, if you play two games the first weekend, like most of us do, they've missed all the first weekend. And then afterwards, the semifinals start, the semifinals are, oh, sorry, the quarterfinals are August 20th and 21st. That's a Saturday and Sunday in the U.S. If they, or one or two, would play on the August 21st. And then if they go into the, if they go into the semifinals, that's August 25th. And then the finals, and they, and they have that famous third, fourth place game that everybody wants to play in. Yeah, uh, they get that. That's going to be on the morning of the twenty eighth of August, and then in the afternoon would be the championship. So that's that's again that's the end of the second uh, of the second week of the college season. But you know, and then afterwards, obviously, it's close in Costa Rica, so the travel back to their college teams that's not going to be bad. But you know, I find the real part. We've had a couple of players, Molly Pathman, Kelly Cobb, in the past, is kind of integrating them back to your college team. You know, how much rest do you give them? How, how long do they sit out? You know, U.S. soccer will probably dictate some of the rest that they will get. And just, you know, common sense means, that, you know, that these kids have to sit out a while. But, you know, it, it is it's a difficult thing because these players throw everything they have into this team. You know, yep. physically and mentally, they they are with this team for, you know, the 30, from the 30th of July till they play in the finals to the 28th of August. And now you expect them to come back in, and I, you know, third week of the third week of the year, we play UCLA and TCU. 
you know, so if we happen to have any players that, that are on that team, um, you know, then how do you integrate that? And, you know, those kids wanting to get in earlier, you want them to get them in, in earlier, you know, what, you know, and you want to be fresh at the end of things. So I think this is going to be a, 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 a uh, an interesting thing to look at that's coming up is, is the players that are playing college that are playing the 20 in the U20 world cup and, you know, how it affects their college season. And then I, and then I would say also for you, for you, Matt, how will the committee look at this? How, you know, like, you know, Carolina, let's guess they'll have two or three players there. A lot of schools may have two or three players. What happens if some of those schools lose a game early? What happens if they, you know, how are they going to be looked at? Are they going to be judged differently if they don't have their so-called best players and they drop? Yeah. I, yeah. I think it's, you know, and, the, the political answer is politically correct answer is, you know, you look at your entire body of work and if we can say, okay, listen, in, in October, you know, you were beating Virginia and Florida state, but you stumbled in September and we knew that you didn't argue, you, you knew you didn't have top your three top players that will be discussed. There's no question about it. So it, it will not go unnoticed, but I think typically it sorts itself out. And, you know, part of the criteria is your last 10 games. Right. So if you're rolling the last two games, again, you stumbled early, you know, I think it'll be in consideration again. You know, when you're talking about teams like that, you're talking about seeding and, and those kind of things. So that's where it does get a little tricky, but I do think um, it'll, it'll sort itself out. Matt, is, that's very, know, Matt can yeah. you stand up at the first day of the committee meeting and say, let's try and go three days without saying body of work. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot Ryan. And I will not. That's that's right. gotta be never happen. Never happen. Not an RPI. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. Uh, quick uh, NWSL update. I'm going to give that. Um, Chicago's in first. No, actually, they're not in first now. They were in first for two days. And San Diego won, and they uh, they went back to second. But they got a game in hand. So Chris's team is doing really well. Had a good win over Gotham um, on the weekend, 3 nothing. But San Diego uh, won as well over Washington. So put them back on top. Uh, NWCL's one last last topic, real quick. The Euros, the women's Euros is up and running. England had a win; they won that game, right? They were winning last I saw. Uh, but I do think, and, and we can talk about this for, for just for a minute. But I think it's great if your your players and and recruits and everybody you know watches the Euros. It's a it's going to be a good level of of play, and and it's really helpful to watch, obviously. And I think it's great that ESPN is putting all the games on, and it was uh, it was exciting today. I mean, Old Trafford was packed and rocking which was pretty cool. So thoughts on that, Brian? Well, Europe's where it's at for, for the women right now. I mean, if you want to watch the very highest level of, of club soccer in the world, there's a solid argument. Watch the European teams play. And, the, you're, you know, the Barcelona's now in the Man Cities, and yep. that's where all these players are coming from. And um, that's the best soccer you could possibly watch. On a side note, do you guys see that uh, Jamaica beat Mexico in the women's CONCACAF? Did they, they were up one nothing. I didn't see uh, the final. Is that why? Wow, they they really? Buddy Shaw. Buddy Shaw. Yeah. Buddy Shaw. You know, yeah. Calf, that's where you're going to see all the college players playing. Ordonia started up front for Mexico, and Buddy mm. Shaw did it to to Mexico the same way she did to Ole Miss, Missouri, LSU <laughs> back in the day. Big times. Yeah. Um, Church, any thoughts on the women's conquer cap? Are the, no, sorry, the women inside the women's euros. You know, I, I I think you said, Matt. I think it's uh, it's something you got to watch. It's a must see. It's a must see. It's great mm -hmm. that ESPN is putting them is putting the game zone at, at this stage. Um, the quality of play uh, peaked in about 
30, 35 minutes today of watching the England game. And, uh, you know, was was very, very impressed. I look forward to it as it, as it goes forward, as it starts to, you know, move in the knockout stages and it gets excited at that point. So I think, you know, a lot of things out there on an international scale. We got the Euros, you've got CONFACAF, you got CONFACAF, but you're right. If you want to follow the college players, they're going to be all up and down CONFACAF rosters. And, uh, you know, I know the U.S. started off the other day. It was kind of an interesting match they had. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, Haiti, Haiti had some looks. There's no they doubt. They did have some looks. Missed yeah. the penalty. I mean, yeah. geez. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, Churchy. Well, hey, give us a few minutes on a good friend, Dave Nolan. Oh, there, you know, as I said last week that my girl was Ronnie. There's my guy, Dave Nolan, over here. <laughs> funniest, funniest man in college soccer. When I when I need to be cheered up every week, we have at least one conversation. I need to be cheered up. I call Dave Nolan and say uh, it won't take five minutes and uh, he'll have me smiling. He'll he'll have me laughing. But, uh, you know, obviously he's done a phenomenal job there. At, at Georgetown and just a, a great person and coach. So I'll leave it that, Matt, for you. Yeah, you that's good. Out. We, we, uh, we'll make sure to give Dave's phone number out to everybody on the podcast. Like, um, <laughs> yeah. Please All do. Right. Please yeah. do. They need to tell, call me. I'll, I'll be happy to give it to them. All right, Churchy. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks, maybe even in a week. We'll knock these out. It's getting close, buddy. We don't have this time. Enjoy the beach. Yep. Enjoy Thanks. the sunshine, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. All right, Brian, very excited to bring in uh, our next guest, Dave Nolan from Georgetown University. He's been the head coach there, doing a fantastic job, got his team into the Final Four and kind of runs the Big East, if you ask me. But Dave, what, welcome to College Soccer Nation. Yeah, guys, uh, happy to be on board. Um, obviously, uh, when I got the invitation to speak, I said, let's go spread your message, Dave, to, to the good folks down <laughs> in the FTC and, and down in the different time zone. Yeah, love it. Love it. We, we need that from time to time. Well, listen, what we always do, Dave, is we start out with, if you would, and I know it's pretty, pretty really interesting and most people like this part of it, but give us your path from, you know, what kind of where you started, how you got over here and then, and then on into, uh, into Georgetown. It was very interesting because uh, when I was younger, I was quite an accomplished goalkeeper and for us growing up across the pond, the dream was always to go to England. And I was kind of heading on a good trajectory until um, I stopped growing. And then I kind of peaked at five foot ten. And even though back then it wasn't like it is now, um, it kind of just left me at this point where people were passing me by who I was always, I was always ahead of. So then the opportunity to come across to the U.S. Uh, came on board. My former college coach, uh, Ed Kelly, former men's coach at Seton Hall, but also at Boston College, just retired last year. So Eddie took me over at the Seton Hall in New Jersey. Uh, I didn't know any better. I just looked at New Jersey on the map, and I figured it was one flight back to Ireland if I needed to get out of town quickly. Uh, my, other, my other option uh, was an option down in Alabama, which I knew didn't sound like a great place. And, and it was two flights and uh, strange musical instruments. So I decided that um, I'll go to New Jersey, not knowing any better, but oh. Ultimately, you know, our squad at Seton Hall was, was pretty good. You know, I think I had three, maybe three Big East championships as a player. And we were typically ranked anywhere from three to five and six in the country. So uh, we had a couple of elite eight appearances. So it was fantastic. And uh, kind of out of, out of nowhere, you know, after school, uh, went to work in the corporate sector. Didn't like it. It was too much like hard work. Um, became a teacher, fourth grade teacher, shaping the youth of America molding them in my image. And um, I was pretty excited about that. And then out of nowhere, 
Uh, my predecessor at Georgetown, Diane Drake, asked me would I come help her as she took over a program. And um, I really wasn't interested in the job. Uh, I was kind of quite happy up in New Jersey. I was still playing. I was teaching. I was doing some coaching at Seton Hall. And, but I came down to Georgetown, fell in love with the school, fell in love with the area. And I'm still there 24 years later. Wow. That's awesome. Awesome. Brian, what do you got? Yeah, that's, uh, that's super interesting. Pat, I, I talked to Georgetown about that job when they hired Diane. They were not thinking we're going to play in Final Fours at that point, Dave, <laughs> which you've done is impressive. Holy cow. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, um, you know, the, when, the, when the program started, um, it was really just more from a club program into, into a varsity program. And, you know, and Diane's, you know, five years, I think we were pretty much non-funded. And, and really, for me, until probably about 2007 was the first year we kind of had some scholarship money. So we kind of, you know, the, the, there was a great commitment from the university and the athletic department. And piece by piece, we kind of got us to where we now had what everybody else had. And that gives you a, a chance to compete. But then, you know, the, the, the brand of the school, uh, the location, um, and you guys all know this. I mean, you guys have all had outstanding careers as well. Um, it's like you have to be good to attract good players, but you have to have good players to become good. <laughs> and we were very fortunate in that we, we, we attracted one young lady from New Jersey, uh, Ingrid Wells. Um, and she was like the first kind of player that put us on the map. Ingrid went on. I think she has a full national team cap, uh, one of U20 uh, World Cup uh, with, with, with the U.S., uh, with, with the late Tony DeChico. Um, and after that, then, you know, it just, you know, it just kind of snowballed a little bit. And, you know, as we got better, we were able to attract better players. I wish I could put it all down to coaching genius, but I think that would be a little bit, <laughs> uh, that would be a little bit wrong for me to, 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 to claim that part of it. It's good players. You know, listen, Robbie Church is a great player, because, a great coach, because he attracts great players, you know. Um, so, I think we all understand that, but obviously you need someone at the at the front, like driving the chariot as well. So, uh, but still happy, you know, being there 24 years, uh, very happy. I love living in DC. Uh, I like coaching at a school like ours. I like coaching the types of kids that we get. And um, I've probably had a couple of opportunities maybe to move on, but uh, I've never been able to um, find somewhere better. I heard a rumor, Dave, you still live in the same condo you lived in 20 years ago. Is that true? True. Yes, yes. It's up here as, as you well, you guys wouldn't know this, but everything is so darn expensive. Um, if I was gonna go live in something bigger, I'd be about two hours from work. So I'm quite happy being, you know, fifteen minutes from work. It's uh you know, then I'm I'm saving up to kind of grab a big beach estate like Coach Church. Um, <laughs> but you know, he's obviously He's obviously a lot older and he's had many more years ahead of me. So absolutely. I'm trying to find my own beach compound as well. Right. So back to this, uh, Dave. So um, you obviously coached in club for a long, long time as well. Right. And did yes. such, such a good job. So why, why so long? And what was the, how difficult was it? And kind of what was the, the pluses and negative of, of doing both? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, I look at it now 
and I asked myself, how on earth did I find the time to coach club at the level we competed at? Yeah. You know, I coached at Bethesda Soccer Club for about 15 years, probably had about, went through the process with four teams. Uh, my first team spoiled me. They were exceptional and we were probably the best team in the country. Um, and I kind of stayed with it after that because I enjoyed coaching. And in the springtime, you know, uh, it kind of mirrored um, the high school season for Maryland was in the fall when we were in our college season. So uh, it was kind of more up to task in the, in the spring. So I felt I could manage it then. Um, but as the years went on, I mean, you know, you get a little bit older and, um, you know, Georgetown really started to take off and that kind of needed even more energy. Uh, but ultimately, um, I went away from it really because I just, I, I, I wasn't happy with where youth soccer was going. I wasn't happy with the environment. Uh, I wasn't happy with, with, with the, the parents. So I could manage the parents um, and, and all their feelings and frustrations. Uh, but after a while, I started to find that the players were, uh, were different and the players weren't as driven um, or as motivated by the competition. They had other motivations, maybe finding a school or maybe getting a scholarship, but they weren't motivated to play, to have fun, or not all of them, and that would be very unfair to suggest it was all of them. Sure. Um, but, but by the time I got through my fourth team, uh, I was ready to step away, and I thought I would step away for a year or two and then jump back in, um, but I had never jumped back in. Well, those Bethesda teams, some of those Bethesda teams were really good. Really, really good. Yeah, yeah. Brian? Yeah, in, it, it, that's interesting, Dave, too, on the note of the kids being a little different in their motivations. It's the number one thing recruiting these days, isn't it? Yeah. Their motivation. Yeah, and, and I mean, guys, you know this. I mean, when, when you go out and recruit, there's plenty of talented soccer players. And, and there's, you know, for us even, um, you know, and Brian, you, you'll deal with this in particular now at Rice. Um, there's plenty of bright students. But in trying to find talented soccer players who are good students, who are good kids, it's a very finite uh, pool. Um, and I think now what I have learned the hard way, and it's probably part of our success over the last six or seven years, is about 10 years ago I realized that I'd given up on trying to change kids. That By the time we get them to college, we're not changing them. And uh, when I was a fourth grade teacher back in the day, I always felt like you could turn kids around a little bit. But I made a conscious effort in college to start focusing more on trying to recruit good players who are great kids, as opposed to maybe uh, great players who lack something, lack a little bit of character, lack a little bit of motivation. And, and all of a sudden, kind of the, the, you know, things turned around for us. And um, so even now in the recruiting process, if, if I see any red flags about a kid or about the parents or the family, I just walk because there's another good kid waiting outside my office. Um, so I'll walk from them. What is recruiting little piece? What's the transfer portal look in and out of Georgetown? Wise, how's all that stuff? Does it look like? You know, it's, I used to feel, I'm probably putting all my cards on the table here too quickly. <laughs> I used to feel when it came to transfers that if a kid was transferring, there was usually something wrong with the kid. And I think the last five years in particular, and certainly in the last two years, I think the transfer portal has become just such a release valve for kids who either aren't happy or B, 
for the first time in their life, something got hard or C they were sold a bill of goods by a coach and get to that institution and then realize, well, hang on, this isn't kind of what I was led to believe. Um, and right now I really worry about where the transfer portal is going in our game because I think kids too naively think that, well, when I was being recruited the first time around, 10 schools really wanted me. So I'll go on the transfer portal and the other nine schools will still want me without realizing that that's not typically the case. And I worry now that all these kids, as soon as something gets hard, they just jump in expecting to find a new home. And the transfer portal for me, it's like musical chairs. Eventually the music's going to stop and there's not going to be enough chairs. And I think we're starting to see that with some kids who are now realizing that the school they end up transferring to is probably a lesser option than the school they were originally at. Um, I mean, I think the top kids, they'll always find homes. Um, but again, I think it just pushes people down. So I'm not a big fan of the transfer portal, um, but I think it's a problem that goes far beyond college soccer. Yeah, I would just echo in there, Dave, like, you, you know, you're so right. But, but one of the issues we have, right, are these kids come in as freshmen and they expect because they were the best, uh, you know, back in the day, they had to earn it. They had to work their way up. There was no option really to right. transfer. But now if they're not playing as a freshman, well, then let me just jump right back in the portal. And it's like you got to beat out guys that have been here three or four years that are, you know, really good players and they're older and they're they're more prepared, they're more mature. And so it's it's a real issue. It's There's no question about it. And that being said, we've had, you know, a number of players come in and a number of players go out and it's, it's you know, knock on wood working. But it's, it is, I totally agree, this is not a college soccer issue. The transfer portal is, is much bigger than that for sure. Um, I think, okay. I think ultimately, I think when the portal was put in place, I don't think it was planned carefully enough. And I think they, they need to try and restrict it a little, but almost put in like, you know, a window where mm -hmm. if kids want to transfer, they got to do it uh, in that particular window. Because I think at the end of the day, the kid, the ones who are being hurt the most is the, is the kids. Yeah. It's not us. We can always replace players. But, I yeah. think, you know, these kids who are very misguided and thinking that, okay, I'll just find another school that's awesome. Well, there may not be another school that's awesome that has a need for them or has maybe some funding for them. or, or And then I think this, the kids are kind of realizing, uh-oh, I probably overplayed my hand here, you know? It is interesting how it wasn't thought through the transfer report. I think you could say the same thing about NIL right now, right? Like, oh, yeah. And obviously, you're not thought to that. But anyway, all right, I want to change the, change, the, change the direction just a little bit. And let's talk about how impressive in women's soccer, Georgetown, Santa Clara, BYU, these quote-unquote mid-majors that none of us consider, none of us in the soccer world consider a Georgetown a mid-major or a BYU a mid-major, Santa Clara a mid-major, but classified in the conference or whatever. Um, how, in your opinion, have you guys been so dominant um, in that, you know, again, you guys, that, that Santa Clara, Georgetown, you know, making Final Fours, making the finals, why, why do you think that type of school has done so well in women's soccer? Well, it's interesting. You're right. I, do, I, th I think people do perceive us as being, you know, a, a big fish, and they perceive Santa Clara as being a big fish. And I know, like, we went to the – our first Final Four was in 2016, and then, you know, when we were there, 
Uh, I was taking photographs of everything. We were out in San Jose. I must have gone through a memory card on my phone. And even one of the players said to me, why are you taking so many photographs? And I'm like, look around, take photographs, because this could be it. And then we went back two years later. Um, and, and, and the funny thing was, I believe the two, the two appearances we had made in 16 and 18, we were the first non-Power 5, Football 5 school to make the final four since Portland, I want to say in, in 2005 or something. Yeah, it's very and then obviously, And then I think Santa Clara obviously, you know, have done it since. But to get back to your original question, you know, I, I think we have a niche. I think Santa Clara has a niche. Um, you know, I think that they've obviously got Jerry, who's a, a coach and legend. And, you know, Jerry's name draws players. Um, the school is a very good school. There's a history and there's a legacy and there's a tradition there and a culture of winning and a culture of success. And, and Jerry does a great job fostering that. Um, the incredible weather out there doesn't hurt either, to be fair. <laughs> uh, but then I think, you know, for us, you know, we're, you know we, we, we have that kind of niche in that, you know, our university, you know, like, like Brian's school, we recruit against the Ivies for our student body. Um, and I think from a soccer point of view, we can then talk to kids about, hey, you're getting an Ivy-like education, but you're getting a chance to maybe compete athletically at a, at a higher level. So we're, we're able to find, you know, some, some kids that are excited by that. And Washington, D.C. Uh, is, is, is obviously, it's, it's, it's a great city to live in. Um, you know, I think the, the kids find that balance of all three areas. So we normally get in the conversation with most recruits. We don't win all recruits. Sure. We win our fair share. But I think, I think what I do and I think what Jerry does a good job of is we find kids that maybe were just a notch below the, the surface and they're kids who maybe have that drive to go, okay, well, you know, the top three schools in the country didn't recruit me, so I'm going to prove them wrong. And I think we, we, I think we get a little bit of that. Um, I mean, I look at the number of All-Americans we've churned out in the last eight years I think half of them were what I would have described as being recruited non-scholarship kids, and they graduated as All-Americans. Wow, that's awesome. Wow. Good answer, too. Very good. Brian, what you got? Yeah. Dave, what do you think the difference, you know, you're on a, a heck of a run for a decade, and a lot of high-seeded teams, a lot of successful teams in the tournament, but those couple who made the Final Four, Why? You know, when you look back, what, what separated them from your other good teams? Well, it's funny that the team that went in 2016 just got better as the season went on. And it was one of those where by the end of the season, we were we, we got hot. Um, we got a couple of great results in the tournament. And before you knew it, we were in San Jose. And funnily enough, I felt we should have won it that year. Even though I didn't think it was my best team, I felt that year... Um, I felt we, sh we should have won it. Now, in, in 2018, when we, when we went back, that was a team that was very talented because um, we didn't give up goals. And we had a, a forward that could score goals. We had an All-American goalkeeper. Um, and I think we were pretty strong down the spine. It just so happened, you know, that final four was, it was like going to, you know, murderer's row. It was uh, Stanford, Florida State, and North Carolina, and we're in there with those guys. And even though that was a much better team for us, 
I didn't feel we were the best team at that event, but I felt we could compete with them. Um, and the crazy thing was the group between those two teams in 2017 was better than both of them. And we lost in the first round of the tournament when the selection committee stuck us down on Wake Forest. And we had a seven-hour drive, and we ended up losing on penalty kicks. And that team, I never thought that team was going to lose. That was a team I thought would have won the national championship. Yeah. Um, so, Probably Matt's fault. Matt's no, on the I was the, I don't know. That was yeah, before my time. I can't, even, my time. can't even blame Matt for that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the, Tony might have been on the, the – Tony to lose. Yeah, it was, it was a head scratcher because yeah. I think, you know, we were ranked higher, our RPI was higher, mm-hmm. and I couldn't understand where we were going on the road. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, it is what it is. You, you yeah. got to beat good teams if you want to do it. And gets the penalty kicks. It, it was a lottery, as Liverpool will tell you, as a big Liverpool <laughs> fan. You know, so. um, all right. So you touched on it a little bit, but you obviously have been courted you know, for a number of schools, and we're not going to talk about what school and this and that, but, but you touched on a little bit, but just talk us through what, I mean, you've obviously been a hot commodity. You've heard you know, any big job that comes open, you hear your name, but what, what has kept you there? And, and that's the first half of my question. My second half is talk about the development of the Big East because, you know, you've kind of run the show there for a long time, but there are some teams now that are, are doing pretty well and the league is getting better and better. And we had, you know, I don't know, two or three in, maybe four in this year. Five. Um, Five. It was a sorry. Yeah, I apologize. Yeah, yeah five. The most for us this year. Yeah. So well, what 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 has gone on with the league? Well, the <laughs> first thing, um, the league traditionally has always been a great league, and it's just you know our conference has changed. Um, I mean, I go back to when I played. It was a conference with eight schools, and then all of a sudden we picked up schools like uh, West Virginia, Rutgers, Louisville, uh, Notre Dame. Um, Virginia Tech, you know, UConn, Boston right? College. UConn, UConn. Yeah, UConn. Yeah. UConners have since come back. Yeah. Um, so, so for a while there, like around the, you know, from two oh two to like probably uh, our league is probably seven years now. So maybe till around 2014, 2014, it was a great conference, and you know, it, it would stack up against anybody. I mean, we had Notre Dame winning national championships. You know, we had we we had UConn going to Final Fours. Um, you know, Boston College went to a final four. So, so we had, uh, and then obviously, you know, unfortunately in this country, yeah, your pointy ball football rules. And, and, and because of that, um, you know, we, we ran into a bit of a change in the conference where we became a basketball centered conference and the football schools went off into what we would call the, the American athletic conference. Um, you know, so our, our conference has always been morphing and changing. Um, but now we've got some great programs in it. I mean, we've got some schools that I, I feel can, can can hang with anybody. Um, Butler, great program. You know, uh, Providence, uh, Nate Lee's done a great job at Xavier. You know, Sam's done a great job at Providence. You know, Terry and Rob do a great job at Butler. And then Ian, Ian Stone, who's like the, you know, the Gandalf of, of our conference. I mean, Ian's been there, I think, 25 years as a head coach. And for him, you know, this year he's he's had a couple of great teams in the past, but this year he had a very strong senior-driven team. And, you know, they get into the conference final, upset Xavier, and, and all of a sudden they're in the NCAAs. And I think, you know, they went to the Sweet 16. They went further than any of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. All right, Brian, we got two more for you, I think. Dave, we'll get you. I know we've been kind of drilling you here, but we'll get you out of here. Give, give, me, another, give me another, Brian. I had two questions, Dave. What's Pat Ewing like at staff meetings? Tell us guy in the room. What's, what, how's that? He, he's a big boy. 
he he is a big boy and um he's a really nice guy and you know it, i think you know for i can't speak for him but I think, you know, the, the, the world of college basketball has, you know, we've got problems with transfers and all of that, um, but the, the college basketball world, it's insane. I mean, I, I would not want to be coaching college basketball. Yeah. You, you, yeah. you can't lock your roster down. You know, there's always people in the kids' ears. Um, you know, he's, I think he's, he's happy that he's, he's got a squad this year that he thinks can start to kind of turn things around. Uh, but he's a he's a really good guy, and he's great for us. You know, he's he's obviously he's Jamaican background, so he's a big soccer guy, as is big Dikembe Mutombo. Oh, yeah. And um, you know, so all those guys, you know, you'll see them. They'll be up at our men's games. They'll be at our games as well. How about that? Yeah, all right, last awesome. one for me. George Best, Liam Brady. Who's your man? Or someone else growing up? My man growing up, actually, because I was a goalkeeper. I have to say, it was Pat Jennings. Yeah. All right. Yeah, biggest hands ever on a human being. Yeah, uh, he could dig a garden with his hands. You know, <laughs> um, but no, he was he he was he was exceptional, and um, you know we haven't had much to cheer about. We're only a little country now and again. We throw a big punch, and you know we we've had some times where we've thrown a, f- a few good punches. It's good. All right. All right, my last two for me um, is um, what's the best golf course you've played worldwide? Number one, and then number two, then and then finish up with sorry with um, Salas on Georgetown. Well, the, the top golf course to, to play in terms of just being a religious experience is obviously St Andrews. Mm-hmm. Um, but my favorite course I've ever played is a course in Ireland called the Hinch, and um, it's um, it's it's an incredible golf course. Mm. And then Salas on Georgetown. Yeah. Um, top, top education, uh, fantastic soccer program and um, an incredible city to live in when, um, you know, when people aren't coming up and insurrecting the place. Uh, it's it's a, it's a great city. To be in. <laughs> That's great. All right, Dave. Listen, thanks so much for coming on College Soccer Nation. We appreciate it. We, we efforted you to get you on here. It's been taking us some time, but. We are thrilled you could come on, spend some time with us. Um, great job. And, and obviously, anybody that hasn't seen Georgetown play, they are a fun team to watch. He's a great coach, doing a great job. And best of luck to you as preseason's right around the corner. Get a few more rounds of golf in before we get going here. In awesome. August. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the rest of your summer. You too, Thanks, Dave. Dave. See ya. Thanks, okay. Dave. All right. I enjoyed that immensely, Brian. Dave's a great guy and um, you know, I've just gotten to know him over the short last last maybe few months and I'm a, I'm a big fan and always been a fan of Georgetown. Didn't know him very well but and went to a summit with him and uh, it was great and he's awesome and uh, not surprising they do well. No, and it, it clearly it's the type of guy you want your kid to play for. Yeah, absolutely. Re- really absolutely. good soccer guy but an even better person who's going to make practice light and fun and I, I imagine playing soccer at Georgetown is what it's all about. Yeah. Really cares about you. Really great guy. And they are good, man. They are good. They're fun to watch. They're a good, good team. All right, let's go Power 5. So in, in honor of, of Dave, if you didn't know he was Irish, we decided to go with the top five things all Irish. So I don't know. This was a tough list for me to come up with, but I've got a couple zingers on there. I think that may uh, may push me over. may not. I lost last week, um, which was crap because of World Cup. But we'll keep moving. Let's go. Uh, I'm going to start. You start, my number five is the Irish flag. 
I, quite, I like the flag. I think it's a good looking flag. It's simple. It's got good colors. You know it when you see it. Big fan of the flag. That, that's very interesting. I hadn't thought about that at all. I, <laughs> I'll have to uh, really soak that in. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not an expert on country flags. So I don't know that's good where that one goes. All right. My number okay. five. And I think a, a large portion of our listening crowd will appreciate this. They've given us the Irish pub. Everywhere you go, you can find an Irish pub, Matt. That is a good point, Brent. That's a good one. That's not on my list, but that is a good one. I can uh, give you credit for that. On your list. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> You're number four. My number four kind of goes when you go in the Irish pub, or if anyone's ever been to Ireland, the thing everyone always says is the friendly people. The just general friendliness of the Irish. Dave's a wonderful example, but you go overseas, take a trip to Ireland. It, it's always top three on vacation spots. And it's largely because the people are so friendly. Hmm. All right. My number four is the leprechaun. Ooh. Who doesn't love the leprechaun, right? You're the Notre Dame guy. It's the leprechaun in general. Big fan of the leprechaun. That's my number four. All right. My number three, along with the leprechaun, is the shamrock. Who doesn't love finding the shamrock in the grass and being able to wish you good luck? Gives you good luck. I'm going with the shamrock is my number three. What's your number three? Well, if we weren't taping at night, I'd really be hankering for a bowl of Lucky Charms right now. From, from <laughs> that is not my number three. Should have been. I love a good. At least I like the marshmallow. Part. I don't like Lucky Charms. I don't like the marshmallows. That's you know I like a nice sugar cereal. That's not one of my favorites. All right, go ahead. No, number number three. three, Irish music. You know, it all leans together. You go in the Irish pub, friendly people. They crank out some mm-hmm. Irish music, little green and red of mayo. I got some songs I like. Okay. It's, uh, get you are about the obscure music. There's no doubt about it. All right. I, My number, uh, near number two. Sorry, your number, number two. two. Yes. And I think you will really, I think you're going to vote me the winner just based on my number two. Okay. River dance. <laughs> That was my number two, too. River Dance. Uh, love the River Dance. Yeah, you, you should yeah. get points. How can, yes. How can you not love the River Dance? It's I do. one of the top things. All right. So my number one, right? I get to go first. You go my first. My number one, the best thing for me about Ireland, without question, is a man by the name of Roy Keane. He oh. is the best thing about Ireland. He's the reason I like Manchester United. I love Manchester United. He is the reason I read his book. His autobiography is unbelievable. He was a captain of the Manchester United. If you've not read his autobiography, I highly recommend it. One of the best books I've ever read. I haven't read a lot of books, but it's one of the best ones I've ever read. It's fantastic. He's great. I would love a team full of Roy Keynes, but he is great. And that is why my number one Irish thing is Roy Keane. Well, Except when Ireland didn't he walk out on Ireland at the World Cup or like a day before? Oh, but no, it's the way he was treated. Mick Mick McCarthy was a jerk. According to Chandler, oh, yeah. the flag was there. Love the flag. Yeah, the flag. Yeah, he walked yeah. out on him. But I love Roy Keane as a player. Yeah, fantastic. I, I quite appreciate that choice. My number one. You know your biggest holidays in America: Thanksgiving, good food, Easter, yeah. you get some candy, Christmas, you get your presents. But for adults, it's St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> So I had, I thought about St. Patty's Day, but this is my issue. I don't really get St. Patty's Day. I don't understand. I get it's drinking. Everybody's drinking. And obviously, anybody that knows me knows I'm a non-drinker. I'm a big eater, non-drinker. Um, but I don't get St. Patty's Day. I mean, I see, I know what it is. I just, it's 
seems a bit much. He gets a bit much with the green beer and the green river and that. It's it's really party. taken a hold like the last decade. It's gone from really. That's because you went from 40 to 50 in that decade. That's why. Third tier holiday to really push <laughs> yeah. Easter. All right. So my five, the flag, leprechaun, shamrock, the Irish jig dance, and Roy King. All right. Yours. My five, the Irish pub, the friendly nature of the Irish. Irish music, river dance, and St. Patty's Day. Nice. That, that, that is a beatdown, man. Yeah, it might be. All right, except the Irish people. That's kind of crazy. All right. Uh, what are you looking forward to this week, Brian? Oh, man. Just one more week, <laughs> maybe 10 more days with friends and family before we're really uh, cooking it up mid-July. Got to start getting back to campus full-time and getting ready. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm actually. I'm still battling COVID. Believe it or not. Believe it or not. For those people listening, it's not fun. I lost my sense of smell and taste. So I'm hoping this week that that comes back, Brian. Because my wife's had it. My sons have had it. Um, my daughter, luckily, knock on wood, hasn't had it yet. But uh, COVID's not fun. It's not fun in the summer. But uh, I'm trying to uh, get past that and uh, look for brighter days ahead, where I can taste something again. So anyway. Um, have a great week. This has been a good college soccer nation. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Robbie. Big topics kind of all over the map today, but kind of fun for a summer college soccer nation. We hope you enjoy it. Appreciate Darren's um, producing it, DJM Productions. And um, we'll see you, well, I don't know, 10, 12, 14 days, something like that. We'll be back on getting ever closer to uh, August 1st and preseason kickoff. But until then, keep your feet on the ground and keep kicking. College <laughs> Soccer Nation is out. <laughs>